Question 55 of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 55. Of the Manifestation of the Resurrection. In six articles. We have now to consider the manifestation of the resurrection, concerning which there are six points of inquiry. First, whether Christ's resurrection ought to have been manifested to all men or only to some special individuals. Second, whether it was fitting that they should see him rise. Third, whether he ought to have lived with the disciples after the resurrection. Fourth, whether it was fitting for him to appeal to the disciples in another shape. Fifth, whether he ought to have demonstrated the resurrection by proofs. Sixth, of the cogency of those proofs. First article, whether Christ's resurrection ought to have been manifested to all. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ's resurrection ought to have been manifested to all. For just as a public penalty is due for public sin, according to 1 Timothy 5.20, them that sin reprove before all so is a public reward due for public merit. But as Augustine says, the glory of the resurrection is the reward of the humility of the passion. Therefore, since Christ's passion was manifested to all while he suffered in public, it seems that the glory of the resurrection ought to have been manifested to all. Objection to further, as Christ's passion is ordained for our salvation, so also is his resurrection, according to Romans 4.25. He rose again for our justification. But what belongs to the public weal ought to be manifested to all. Therefore, Christ's resurrection ought to have been manifested to all, and not to some specially. Objection 3 further. They to whom it was manifested were witnesses of the resurrection. Hence it is said in Acts 3.15, Whom God hath raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Now they bore witness by preaching in public, and this is unbecoming in women according to 1 Corinthians 14.34. Let women keep silence in the churches, and in First Timothy 2.12, I suffer not a woman to teach. Therefore, it does not seem becoming for Christ's resurrection to be manifested first of all to the women and afterwards to mankind in general. On the contrary, it is written in Acts 10.40, Him God raised up the third day, and gave him to be made manifest, not to all the people, but to witnesses preordained by God. I answer that. Some things come to our knowledge by nature's common law, others by special favor of grace as things divinely revealed. Now as Dionysius says in On the Celestial Hierarchy 4, the divinely established law of things is that they be revealed immediately by God to higher persons, through whom they are imparted to others, as is evident in the ordering of the heavenly spirits. But such things as concern future glory are beyond the common ken of mankind, according to Isaiah 64, verse 4, The eye hath not seen, O God, besides thee, what things thou hast prepared for them that wait for thee. Consequently, such things are not known by man except through divine revelation 
as the apostle says in first corinthians two ten god hath revealed them to us by his spirit since then christ rose by a glorious resurrection consequently his resurrection was not manifested to everyone but to some by whose testimony it could be brought to the knowledge of others reply to objection one christ's passion was consummated in a body that still had a passable nature which is known to all by general laws consequently his passion could be directly manifested to all but the resurrection was accomplished through the glory of the father as the apostle says in romans 6 4 therefore it was manifested directly to some but not to all but that a public penance is imposed upon public sinners is to be understood of the punishment of this present life and in like manner public merits should be rewarded in public in order that others may be stirred to emulation but the punishments and rewards of the future life are not publicly manifested to all but to those specially who are preordained thereto by god reply to objection to just as christ's resurrection is for the common salvation of all so it came to the knowledge of all yet not so that it was directly manifested to all but only to some through whose testimony it could be brought to the knowledge of all reply to objection three a woman is not to be allowed to teach publicly in church but she may be permitted to give familiar instruction to some privately and therefore as ambrose says on luke twenty four twenty two a woman is sent to them who are of her household but not to the people to bear witness to the resurrection but christ appeared to the woman first for this reason that as a woman was the first to bring the source of death to man so she might be the first to announce the dawn of christ's glorious resurrection hence cyril says on john twenty verse seventeen woman who formerly was the minister of death is the first to see and proclaim the adorable mystery of the resurrection thus womankind has procured absolution from ignominy and removal of the curse hereby moreover it is shown so far as the state of glory is concerned that the female sex shall suffer no hurt but if women burn with greater charity they shall also attain greater glory from the divine vision because the women whose love for our lord was more persistent so much so that when even the disciples withdrew from the sepulchre they did not depart were the first to see him rising in glory second article whether it was fitting that the disciples should see him rise again objection one it would seem fitting that the disciples should have seen him rise again because it was their office to bear witness to the resurrection according to acts four verse thirty three with great power did the apostles give testimony to the resurrection of jesus christ our lord but the surest witness of all is an eye-witness therefore it would have been fitting for them to see the very resurrection of christ objection to further in order to have the certainty of faith the disciples saw christ ascend into heaven according to acts one verse nine while they looked on he was raised up but it was also necessary for them to have faith in the resurrection therefore it seems that christ ought to have risen in sight of the disciples objection three further the raising of lazarus was a sign of christ's coming resurrection but the lord raised up lazarus in the sight of the disciples consequently it seems that christ ought to have risen in the sight of the disciples on the contrary it is written in mark sixteen nine 
the Lord, rising early the first day of the week, appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary Magdalene did not see him rise, but while searching for him in the sepulchre, she heard from the angel, He is risen, he is not here. Therefore no one saw him rise again. I answer that, as the Apostle says in Romans 13.1, Those things that are of God are well ordered. Now the divinely established order is this, that things above men's ken are revealed to them by angels, as Dionysius says in On the Celestial Hierarchy 4. But Christ on rising did not return to the familiar manner of life, but to a kind of immortal and godlike condition, according to Romans 6.10. For in he that liveth, he liveth unto God. And therefore it was fitting for Christ's resurrection not to be witnessed by men directly, but to be proclaimed to them by angels. Accordingly, Hilary says, An angel is therefore the first herald of the resurrection, that it might be declared out of obedience to the Father's will. Reply to Objection 1. The apostles were able to testify to the resurrection even by sight, because from the testimony of their own eyes they saw Christ alive, whom they had known to be dead. But just as man comes from the hearing of faith to the beatific vision, so did men come to the sight of the risen Christ through the message already received from angels. Reply to Objection 2. Christ's ascension, as to its term, wherefrom, was not above men's common knowledge, but only as to its term, whereunto. Consequently, the disciples were able to behold Christ's ascension as to the term, wherefrom, that is, according as he was uplifted from the earth. But they did not behold him as to the term whereunto, because they did not see how he was received into heaven. But Christ's resurrection transcended common knowledge as to the term wherefrom, according as his soul returned from hell and his body from the closed sepulchre. And likewise as to the term whereunto, according as he attained to the life of glory. Consequently, the resurrection ought not to be accomplished so as to be seen by man. Reply to Objection 3. Lazarus was raised so that he returned to the same life as before, which life is not beyond man's common ken. Consequently, there is no parity. Third article, whether Christ ought to have lived constantly with his disciples after the resurrection. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ ought to have lived constantly with his disciples because he appeared to them after his resurrection in order to confirm their faith in the resurrection and to bring them comfort in their disturbed estate, according to John 20.20. 20. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord but they would have been more assured and consoled had he constantly showed them his presence. Therefore, it seems that he ought to have lived constantly with them. Objection to further, Christ rising from the dead did not at once ascend into heaven, but after forty days as is narrated in Acts 1.3. But meanwhile he could have been in no more suitable place than where the disciples were met together. Therefore, it seems that he ought to have lived with them continually. Objection 3 further. As Augustine says in On the Consensus of the Evangelists 3, we read how Christ appeared five times on the very day of his resurrection. First, to the woman at the sepulchre, secondly, to the same on the way from the sepulchre, thirdly, to Peter, fourthly, to the two disciples going to the town, 
fifthly, to several of them in Jerusalem when Thomas was not present. Therefore, it also seems that he ought to have appeared several times on the other days before the ascension. Objection for. Further, our Lord said to them before the Passion, in Matthew 26.32, But after I shall be risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Moreover, an angel and our Lord himself repeated the same to the women after the resurrection. Nevertheless, he was seen by them in Jerusalem on the very day of the resurrection, as stated above in Objection 3 also on the eighth day, as we read in John 20, verse 26. It seems, therefore, that he did not live with the disciples in a fitting way after the resurrection. On the contrary, it is written in John 20, verse 26, that after eight days Christ appeared to the disciples. Therefore, he did not constantly live with them. I answer that, concerning the resurrection, two things had to be manifested to the disciples, namely, the truth of the resurrection and the glory of him who rose. Now in order to manifest the truth of the resurrection, it sufficed for him to appear several times before them, to speak familiarly with them, to eat and drink, and to let them touch him. But in order to manifest the glory of the risen Christ, he was not desirous of living with them constantly as he had done before, lest it might seem that he rose unto the same life as before. Hence, in Luke 24.44, he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you. For he was there with them by his bodily presence, but hitherto he had been with them not merely by his bodily presence, but also in mortal semblance. Hence Bede, in explaining those words of Luke, while I was with you, says, that is, while I was still in mortal flesh, in which you are yet, for he had then risen in the same flesh, but was not the same state of mortality as they. Reply to Objection 1. Christ's frequent appearing served to assure the disciples of the truth of the resurrection, but continual intercourse might have led them into the error of believing that he had risen to the same life as was his before. Yet by his constant presence he promised them comfort in another life, according to John 16.22. I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man shall take from you. Reply to Objection 2. That Christ did not stay continually with the disciples was not because he deemed it more expedient for them to be elsewhere, but because he judged it to be more suitable for the apostles' instruction that he should not abide continually with them, for the reason given above but it is quite unknown in what places he was bodily present in the meantime, since scripture is silent and his dominion is in every place. Confer Psalm 102, verse 22. Reply to Objection 3. He appeared oftener on the first day because the disciples were to be admonished by many proofs to accept the faith in his resurrection from the very outset but after they had once accepted it, they had no further need of being instructed by so many apparitions. Accordingly, one reads in the Gospel that after the first day he appeared again only five times, for as Augustine says in On the Consensus of the Evangelists 3, after the first five apparitions, he came again a sixth time when Thomas saw him, a seventh time was by the Sea of Tiberias at the capture of the fishes. The eighth was on the mountain of Galilee, according to Matthew. The ninth occasion is expressed by Mark, at length when they were at table. Because no more were they going to eat with him upon earth, the tenth 
was on the very day when no longer upon the earth but uplifted into the cloud he was ascending into heaven but as john admits not all things were written down and he visited them frequently before he went up to heaven in order to comfort them hence it is written in first corinthians fifteen verses six and seven that he was seen by more than five hundred brethren at once after that he was seen by james of which apparitions no mention is made in the gospels reply to objection four chrysostom in explaining matthew twenty six thirty two after i shall be risen again i will go before you into galilee says he goes not to some far-off region in order to appear to them but among his own people and in those very places in which for the most part they had lived with him in order that they might thereby believe that he who was crucified was the same as he who rose again and on this count he said that he would go into galilee and they might be delivered from fear of the jews consequently as ambrose says in his commentary on the gospel of luke the lord had sent word to the disciples that they were to see him in galilee yet he showed himself first to them when they were assembled together in the room out of fear now is there any breaking of a promise here but rather a hastened fulfilling out of kindness afterwards however when their minds were comforted they went into galilee nor is there any reason to prevent us from supposing that there were few in the room and many more on the mountain for as eusebius says two evangelists luke and john write that he appeared in jerusalem to the eleven only but the other two said that an angel and our saviour commanded not merely the eleven but all the disciples and brethren to go into galilee paul makes mention of them when he says in first corinthians fifteen six then he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at once the truer solution however is this that while they were in hiding in jerusalem he appeared to them at first in order to comfort them but in galilee it was not secretly nor once or twice that he made himself known to them with great power showing himself to them alive after his passion by many proofs as luke says in acts one three or as augustine writes in his consensus of the evangelists three what was said by the angel and by our lord that he would go before them into galilee must be taken prophetically for if we take galilee as meaning a passing we must understand that they were going to pass from the people of israel to the gentiles who would not believe in the preaching of the apostles unless he prepared the way for them in men's hearts and this is signified by the words he shall go before you into galilee but if by galilee we understand revelation we are to understand this as applying to him not in the form of a servant but in that form wherein he is equal to the father in which he has promised to them that love him although he has gone before us in this sense he has not abandoned us fourth article whether christ should have appeared to the disciples in another shape objection one it would seem that christ ought not to have appeared to the disciples in another shape for a thing cannot appear in very truth other than it is but there was only one shape in christ therefore if he appeared under another it was not a true but a false apparition now this is not at all fitting because as augustine says in his eighty-three questions question fourteen if he deceives he is not the truth yet christ is the truth consequently it seems that christ ought not to have appeared to the disciples in another shape objection to further nothing can appear in another shape than the one it has 
except the beholder's eyes be captivated by some illusions but since such illusions are brought about by magical arts they are unbecoming in christ according to what is written in second corinthians six fifteen what concord hath christ with belial therefore it seems that christ ought not to have appeared in another shape objection three further just as our faith receives its surety from scripture so were the disciples assured of their faith in the resurrection by christ appearing to them but as augustine says in an epistle to jerome if but one untruth be admitted into the sacred scripture the whole authority of the scriptures is weakened consequently if christ appeared to the disciples in but one apparition otherwise than he was then whatever they saw in christ after the resurrection will be of less import which is not fitting therefore he ought not to have appeared in another shape on the contrary it is written in mark sixteen twelve after that he appeared in another shape to two of them walking as they were going into the country i answer that as stated above in articles one and two christ's resurrection was to be manifested to men in the same way as divine things are revealed but divine things are revealed to men in various ways according as they are variously disposed for those who have minds well disposed perceive divine things rightly whereas those not so disposed perceive them with a certain confusion of doubt or error for the sensual man perceiveth not those things that are of the spirit of god as is said in first corinthians two fourteen consequently after his resurrection christ appeared in his own shape to some who were well disposed to belief while he appeared in another shape to them who seemed to be already growing tepid in their faith hence these said in luke twenty four twenty one we hoped that it was he that should have redeemed israel hence gregory says in a homily that he showed himself to them in body such as he was in their minds for because he was yet a stranger to faith in their hearts he made pretense of going on further that is as if he were a stranger reply to objection one as augustine says in his questions on the gospels too not everything of which we make pretense is a falsehood but when what we pretend has no meaning then it is a falsehood but when our pretense has some signification it is not a lie but a figure of the truth otherwise everything said figuratively by wise and holy men or even by our lord himself would be set down as a falsehood because it is not customary to take such expressions in the literal sense and deeds like words are feigned without falsehood in order to denote something else and so it happened here as has been said reply to objection to as augustine says in his consensus of the evangelists three our lord could change flesh so that his shape really was other than they were accustomed to behold for before his passion he was transfigured on the mountain so that his face shone like the sun but it did not happen thus now for not without reason do we understand this hindrance in their eyes to have been of satan's doing lest jesus might be recognized hence luke says in chapter twenty four verse sixteen that their eyes were held that they should not know him reply to objection three such an argument would prove if they had not been brought back from the sight of a strange shape to that of christ's true continence for as augustine says in his consensus of the evangelists three the permission was granted by christ 
namely that their eyes should be held fast in the aforesaid way until the sacrament of the bread that when they had shared in the unity of his body the enemy's hindrance may be understood to have been taken away so that christ might be recognized hence he goes on to say that their eyes were opened and they knew him not that they were hitherto walking with their eyes shut but there was something in them whereby they were not permitted to recognize what they saw this could be caused by the darkness or by some kind of humor fifth article whether christ should have demonstrated the truth of his resurrection by proofs objection one it would seem that christ should not have demonstrated the truth of his resurrection by proofs for ambrose says in on the faith let there be no proofs where faith is required but faith is required regarding the resurrection therefore proofs are out of place there objection to further gregory says in a homily faith has no merit where human reason supplies the test but it was no part of christ's office to avoid the merit of faith consequently it was not for him to confirm the resurrection by proofs objection three further christ came into the world in order that men might attain beatitude through him according to john ten ten i am come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly but supplying proofs seems to be a hindrance in the way of man's beatitude because our lord himself said in john twenty verse twenty nine blessed are they that have not seen and have believed consequently it seems that christ ought not to manifest his resurrection by any proofs on the contrary it is related in acts one verse three that christ appeared to his disciples for forty days by many proofs speaking of the kingdom of god i answer that the word proof is susceptible of a twofold meaning sometimes it is employed to designate any sort of reason in confirmation of what is a matter of doubt and sometimes it means a sensible sign employed to manifest the truth thus also aristotle occasionally uses the term in his works taking proof in the first sense christ did not demonstrate his resurrection to the disciples by proofs because such argumentative proof would have been to be grounded on some principles and if these were not known to the disciples nothing would thereby be demonstrated to them because nothing can be known from the unknown and if such principles were known to them they would not go beyond human reason and consequently would not be efficacious for establishing faith in the resurrection which is beyond human reason since principles must be assumed which are of the same order according to the first posterior analytics but it was from the authority of the sacred scriptures that he proved to them the truth of his resurrection which authority is the basis of faith when he said all things must needs be fulfilled which are written in the law and in the prophets and in the psalms concerning me as is set forth in luke twenty four verse forty four but if the term proof be taken in the second sense then christ is said to have demonstrated his resurrection by proofs inasmuch as by most evident signs he showed that he was truly risen hence where our version has by many proofs the greek text instead of proof has tekmerion that is an evident sign affording positive proof now christ showed these signs of the resurrection to his disciples for two reasons first because their hearts were not disposed so as to accept readily the faith in the resurrection hence he says himself in luke twenty four twenty five o foolish and slow of heart to believe and in mark sixteen fourteen 
he upbraided them with their incredulity and hardness of heart. Secondly, that their testimony might be rendered more efficacious through the signs shown them, according to 1 John 1, verses 1 and 3. That which we have seen, and have heard, and our hands have handled, we declare. Reply to Objection 1. Ambrose is speaking there of proofs drawn from human reason, which are useless for demonstrating things of faith, as was shown above. Reply to Objection 2. The merit of faith arises from this, that at God's bidding man believes what he does not see. Accordingly, only that reason debars merit of faith which enables one to see by knowledge what is proposed for belief, and this is demonstrative argument. But Christ did not make use of any such argument for demonstrating his resurrection. Reply to Objection 3 As already stated in the second reply, the merit of beatitude which comes of faith is not entirely excluded except a man refuse to believe whatever he does not see. But for a man to believe from visible signs the things he does not see does not entirely deprive him of faith nor of the merit of faith. Just as Thomas, to whom it was said in John 20, verse 29, Because thou hast seen me, Thomas, thou hast believed, saw one thing and believed another. The wounds were what he saw, God was the object of his belief. But his is the more perfect faith who does not require such helps for belief. Hence, to put to shame the faith of some men, our Lord said, in John 4.48, Unless you see signs and wonders, you believe not. From this, one can learn how they who are so ready to believe God, even without beholding signs, are blessed in comparison with them who do not believe except they see the like. Sixth article. Whether the proofs which Christ made use of manifested sufficiently the truth of his resurrection. Objection 1. It would seem that the proofs which Christ made use of did not sufficiently manifest the truth of his resurrection. For after the resurrection, Christ showed nothing to his disciples which angels appearing to men did not or could not show, because angels have frequently shown themselves to men under human aspect, have spoken and lived with them and eaten with them just as if they were truly men, as is evident from Genesis 18 of the angels whom Abraham entertained, and in the book of Tobias of the angel who conducted him and brought him back. Nevertheless, angels have not true bodies naturally united to them, which is required for a resurrection. Consequently, the signs which Christ showed his disciples were not sufficient for manifesting his resurrection. Objection to further. Christ rose again gloriously, that is, having a human nature with glory. But some of the things which Christ showed to his disciples seem contrary to human nature, as, for instance, he vanished out of their sight and entered in among them when the doors were shut. And some other things seem contrary to glory, as, for instance, that he ate and drank and bore the scars of his wounds. Consequently, it seems that those proofs were neither sufficient nor fitting for establishing faith in the resurrection. Objection 3 further. After the resurrection, Christ's body was such that it ought not to be touched by mortal man. Hence he said to Magdalene in John 20 verse 17, Do not touch me, for I am not yet ascended to my father. Consequently, it was not fitting for manifesting the truth of his resurrection that he should permit himself to be handled by his disciples. Objection 4. 
Further, clarity seems to be the principle of the qualities of a glorified body. Yet he gave no sign thereof in his resurrection. Therefore, it seems that those proofs were insufficient for showing the quality of Christ's resurrection. Objection 5. Further, the angels introduced as witnesses for the resurrection seem insufficient from the want of agreement on the part of the evangelists. Because in Matthew's account, the angel is described as sitting upon the stone rolled back, while Mark states that he was seen after the women had entered the tomb. And again, whereas these mention one angel, John says that there were two sitting, and Luke says that there were two standing. Consequently, the arguments for the resurrection do not seem to agree. On the contrary, Christ, who is the wisdom of God, ordereth all things sweetly, and in a fitting manner, according to Wisdom 8.1. I answer that. Christ manifested his resurrection in two ways, namely, by testimony, and by proof or sign, and each manifestation was sufficient in its own class. For in order to manifest his resurrection, he made use of a double testimony, neither of which can be rebutted. The first of these was the angel's testimony, who announced the resurrection to the women, as is seen in all the evangelists. The other was the testimony of the scriptures, which he set before them to show the truth of the resurrection, as is narrated in the last chapter of Luke. Again, the proofs were sufficient for showing that the resurrection was both true and glorious. That it was a true resurrection, he shows first on the part of the body, and this he shows in three respects. First of all, that it was a true and solid body, and not fantastic or rarefied like the air, and he establishes this by offering his body to be handled. Hence he says in the last chapter of Luke, at verse 39, Handle and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me to have. Secondly, he shows that it was a human body, by presenting his true features for them to behold. Thirdly, he shows that it was identically the same body which he had before, by showing them the scars of the wounds. Hence, as we read in the last chapter of Luke, he said to them, See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Secondly, he showed them the truth of his resurrection on the part of his soul reunited with his body, and he showed this by the works of the threefold life. First of all, in the operations of the nutritive life by eating and drinking with his disciples, as we read in the last chapter of Luke. Secondly, in the works of the sensitive life, by replying to his disciples' questions and by greeting them when they were in his presence, showing thereby that he both saw and heard. Thirdly, in the works of the intellective life, by their conversing with him and discoursing on the scriptures and in order that nothing might be wanting to make the manifestation complete, he also showed that he had the divine nature by working the miracle of the draught of fishes and further by ascending into heaven while they were beholding him. Because, according to John 3, verse 13, No man hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. He also showed his disciples the glory of his resurrection by entering in among them when the doors were closed, as Gregory says in his homily. Our Lord allowed them to handle his flesh when he had brought through the closed doors to show that his body was of the same nature but of different glory. It likewise was part of the property of glory that he vanished suddenly from their eyes, as related in the last chapter of Luke, because thereby it was shown that it lay in his power to be seen or not seen, 
and this belongs to a glorified body as stated above in question fifty four article one second reply and in article two first reply reply to objection one each separate argument would not suffice of itself for showing perfectly christ's resurrection yet all taken collectively establish it completely especially owing to the testimonies of the scriptures the sayings of the angels and even christ's own assertion supported by miracles as to the angels who appeared they did not say they were men as christ asserted he was truly a man moreover the manner of eating was different in christ and the angels for since the bodies assumed by the angels were neither living nor animated there was no true eating although the food was really masticated and passed into the interior of the assumed body hence the angels said to tobias when i was with you i seemed indeed to eat and drink with you but i use an invisible meat but since christ's body was truly animated his eating was genuine for as augustine observes in on the city of god thirteen it is not the power but the need of eating that shall be taken away from the bodies of them who rise again hence Bede says on luke twenty four verse forty one christ ate because he could not because he needed reply to objection to as was observed above some proofs were employed by christ to prove the truth of his human nature others to show forth his glory in rising again but the condition of human nature as considered in itself namely as to its present state is opposite to the condition of glory as is said in first corinthians fifteen forty three it is sown in weakness it shall rise in power consequently the proofs brought forward for showing the condition of glory seem to be in opposition to nature not absolutely but according to the present state and conversely hence gregory says in a homily the lord manifested two wonders which are mutually contrary according to human reason when after the resurrection he showed his body as incorruptible and at the same time palpable reply to objection three as augustine says in his commentary on the gospel of john these words of our lord do not touch me for i am not yet ascended to my father show that in that woman there is a figure of the church of the gentiles which did not believe in christ until he was ascended to the father or jesus would have men to believe in him that is to touch him spiritually as being himself one with the father for to that man's innermost perceptions he is in some sense ascended unto the father who has become so far proficient in him as to recognize in him the equal with the father whereas she has yet believed in him but carnally since she wept for him as for a man but when one reads elsewhere of mary having touched him when with the other women she came up and took hold of his feet that matters little as severanus says for the first act relates to figure the other to sex the former is of divine grace the latter of human nature or as chrysostom says in his commentary on the gospel of john this woman wanted to converse with christ just as before the passion and out of joy was thinking of nothing great although christ's flesh had become much nobler by rising again and therefore he said i have not yet ascended to my father as if to say do not suppose i am leading an earthly life for if you see me upon earth it is because i have not yet ascended to my father but i am going to ascend shortly hence he goes on to say i ascend to my father and to your father reply to objection four as augustine says in his letter to orosium our lord rose 
in clarified flesh, yet he did not wish to appear before the disciples in that condition of clarity, because their eyes could not gaze upon that brilliancy. For if before he died for us and rose again, the disciples could not look upon him when he was transfigured upon the mountain, how much less were they able to gaze upon him when our Lord's flesh was glorified. It must also be borne in mind that after his resurrection our Lord wished especially to show that he was the same as had died, which the manifestation of his brightness would have hindered considerably. Because change of features shows more than anything else the difference in the person seen, and this is because sight specially judges of common sensibles, among which is one and many, or the same and different. But before the passion, lest his disciples might despise its weakness, Christ meant to show them the glory of his majesty, and this the brightness of the body specially indicates. Consequently, before the Passion he showed the disciples his glory by brightness, but after the Resurrection by other tokens. Reply to Objection 5 As Augustine says in his Consensus of the Evangelists 3, we can understand one angel to have been seen by the women, according to both Matthew and Mark, if we take them as having entered the sepulchre, that is, into some sort of walled enclosure, and that there they saw an angel sitting upon the stone which was rolled back from the monument, as Matthew says, and that this is Mark's expression, sitting on the right side, afterwards when they scanned the spot where the Lord's body had lain, they beheld two angels, who were at first seated, as John says, and who afterwards rose so as to be seen standing, as Luke relates. End of question 55 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.